Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Last week, we saw the birth of a new form of life on earth, the nephesh. Those who experience physical life from a body that breathes. Today, God creates nephesh version 2.0, land creatures. The last of which is his ultimate nephesh, man the one he puts in charge of it all. Mankind is elevated to a royal position of authority as co-ruler with the great creator God, bearing his authority and taking care of the creation. In this episode, you'll learn the purpose for your very existence. So, stay tuned. Welcome to Thread, God's Word tying together all the pieces of our life through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through The Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by Medialiteasia.com. Let me ask you to do something different this time. Click the link in the show notes and join our list so we can send you notifications every day when we release a new episode of The Thread. We have 28 episodes planned in Season 4, and you'll be the first to receive them. We'll also send you some free resources and announcements about online courses and events from Medialite to help you keep making progress in your spiritual and personal development. Now, uh, in this episode, we're on day six of creation. It's the biggest day so far. Our text will be Genesis 1, 24 through 31, and one verse in particular. And that verse may be the most important verse in the Bible. If you want to understand the big story the Bible is here to tell us, And it's Genesis 1, verse 27, and we're going to take a look at it soon. This same verse, verse 27, is also credited with the birth of Western civilization and all of its big concepts like democracy, advances in philosophy, science and mathematics, monotheism, revolutionary ideas about the equality of persons, and the God-given potential within every human, and that humans are made in His image. It all started uh, with verse 27, and a movement began giving rise to the arts, to humanities, classical music, and the rise of the Christian movement in Europe and later in the Americas. All of that from one little verse. So I can't wait to get into that with you. Let's begin Chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. And once again, I'm going to read from Genesis 1 through 11, a new old translation for readers, scholars, and translators, which is translated by Samuel Bray and John F. Hobbins. An excellent resource, and I really encourage you to get it. All right, here's our text, verse 24 through 31. It's kind of a long passage, but I'll go ahead and read the whole thing. And God said, let the earth bring forth, in Hebrew, nephesh. Let the earth bring forth animate living things after their kind, 
cattle and darting things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and cattle after their kind and all the darting things of the ground after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the flying things of the heavens, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over all the darting things that dart about on the earth. And God created man. This is verse 27. And God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the flying things of the heavens, over every beast that darts about on the earth. And God said, Here and now I give you all grain-sowing seed that is on the face of the earth and all the trees in which there is the fruit of a tree sowing seed, for you they shall be for eating, and for every beast of the earth, and for every flying thing of the heavens, and for everything that darts about on the earth, wherein there is animate life. Again, Nefesh. All that is green on the grain is for eating, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and lo, It was exceedingly good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Powerful passage, the sixth day of creation. Well, let's go back through it again. Start with verse 24. And God said, remember the pattern of creation, it always starts with God said, then God made, then God saw, and he evaluates it. And if he sees that it's good, it says, and God saw that it was good, and then he will bless it if he sees that it is good. So let's start at the beginning. And God said, let the earth bring forth animate living things after their kind, animate living things. That's the expression that's trying to translate that word that we gave the whole last episode to, and that is the word nefesh. Let the earth bring forth nefesh. In day five, we saw saw God create nefesh in the sea and nefesh in the sky. Those are the uh, creatures that have a body. And they experience a physical life in a physical world. It's not a spiritual concept. It's not about the invisible part that's inside of us that survives uh, our death. There are other words for that, and there are other concepts for that. But primarily, the word nefesh means the physical experience of life in a body that breathes. And so God is focused now on creating a new kind of nefesh, the kinds that live on the land, not in the sky, not in the sea, but on the land. And there's a whole bunch of things that are made from the earth. Uh, and so the earth starts to give, you know, give 
give space and, and all these new creatures arise made from the building blocks of the soil. And God is very excited about what he's creating. So if I could use my if I could use my imagination here, because it said he's creating every mm, every kind of nephesh, he's creating them after their kind. So for example, I'm gonna create nephesh now that dart about, and God creates some, and then he creates, so for example, you know, he can say, I'm going to create now uh, nephesh with hooves, and they're all the different kinds of bodies and the different kinds of creatures that, that have a hard, you know, a hard hoof on the end of its legs and, and how that serves them and how some of them can climb high in the mountains and others of them are, are the, the cattle of the earth. And they're, you know, they're earthbound, but they're animals of hooves. And then there are the animals with paws. And then you've got everything from puppies to cats with claws to panthers and tigers and lions. And, you know, uh, whenever God is presented in Scripture, He's never alone. He always has um, His government with Him. He has His heavenly his heavenly sons. There's a there's a book I wish we had, because we said in the very first verse of chapter one, uh, when it's saying what this story is all about, it says in the beginning God created one package deal: the heavens and the earth. And we're getting a lot of detail about the creation of the earth, but we're really missing. The book about the creation of the heavens. I wish we knew. We don't have any uh, reference to the creation of the angels, how they were made, even the word angel. Uh, that's just one job that some of the heavenly community of God do. Every now and then, God sends one of his divine sons, his disembodied. See, we're the embodied life that God has created. We live a physical life in a body. There is an entirely separate existence, and there are others who have, and this is the the story also of the Bible, there is another branch to his family, and these are not embodied. They are disembodied. Their home address is not planet Earth, and they are not made from the Earth. They're not made from the dirt. They are not required to breathe nephesh. They're not required to breathe in order to live. They, they are more, they are celestial sons of God, and they are, some of them seem to look like humans. Some of them are freaky to look at. When Ezekiel and others describe these creatures, some of them are, they've got multiple faces, they're, they're bizarre, uh, and they're not all one thing. There's, there are the guards around the throne of God, and they're actually seraphim, that means snakes. And so there's just a whole big world that we really want to know about, and we don't have very much there. But they are always around God. When He shows up, He is 
he's not alone. He's always got attendants, and he has his, his heavenly government is with him. So as he is creating, the scripture says, the angel shouted for joy. And, you know, there is, this is a group event in the heavenly realm, and they are all observing the creator God in the peak of his joy at doing the thing he loves to do, which is to create. And, you know, the, the, if you can just see uh, sort of like a conductor in an orchestra, and, you know, he, he is into this music he's bringing up. Well, here's the creator who introduces himself to us as creator. That's the first thing he wants us to know about himself. With all of his other characteristics, he chooses to bring creator. That's the one he wants us to know about. And now he is creating the same thing all day on on day six. He is creating nefesh. He is creating bodies, bodies that breathe and experience life bound by time, bound by place, bodies that can't be in more than one place at a time. You know, the limitations uh, of human life, it's all part of the design of this planet and of everyone who lives on this planet. But it's an amazing planet, and as we will see later, this world that God is building is a place of overlap between the heavenly realm and a new physical realm that God is now creating. And there's going to be an overlap. This is a place where, the, where heaven and earth touch and where God's own presence lives. And he is, he is building himself a home. And he is also building himself a, later a garden a mountain headquarters for him to live in and a mountain headquarters for his government. So now he is hard at work and he is building the animals' uh, bodies and he's built, you know, there's monkeys and bunnies and it's, it's joyful and it's a celebration. And they keep repeating this phrase, after their kind, after their kind, cattle, after their kind, darting things, beasts of the earth, after their kind. And that is their own purpose. Everything is always on purpose. After their kind is leading us to verse 26. So if I can use my imagination, you know, uh, the Creator God is in the middle of His powers and he is using them to create amazing nefesh bodies that are glorious, the sleekness of a panther, the massive size of an elephant. And these animals are being brought forth. And then he opens his mouth and he reveals what seems to me to be his shocking plan, a radical I think, unexpected idea. We'll be right back.
as though God is saying, and I'm going to build one last thing, just one more nefesh, something like, and everybody's thinking, you know, oh, what's he going to make? He's already done paws, hooves, things with tails. I'm going to make something like us. What? I'm going to make out of dirt something like us. I'm going to make a dirt man. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's wow, that's, that's kind of cool. That's amazing. But he's not finished. And he says, verse 26, I'm going to make him in our image after our likeness. And I'm going to let them have dominion. What? I'm going to let them have dominion. And so he does. He creates the one more, the last nephesh, dirt man. We still name our sons clay, you know, man made of the dirt. And God himself crafts dirt man. And then, amazingly, this is with such humility, God himself bends over. It says he created this man in his image. And later we're going to see that God breathes in chapter 2. It says he, he made this man of dust from the dust. And he breathed, chapter 2, verse 7, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a nephesh an animate living thing. The man became a nephesh. Notice what he's done. He has crafted. He himself has now breathed. But this isn't how he made the other nephesh. He spoke them into existence. Now, they were made from the earth. And he has, he has used the dirt. He has used the earth of this planet to give birth to everything. But he has done it from a distance by speaking a word, not this time. He himself crafted us. He breathed his own breath, and that is the same word for his spirit. He has breathed his breath into this creature, and this creature is now alive. Man became a nephesh, like the others, but higher than all the others. But although higher than the other nephesh, still we are a member of the community of those who with us share the experience of being embodied life. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have the dominion. This is an earthquake idea. And it started a tremor that, as I said, ended up as Western civilization eventually in its glory. You know, eventually, as, as this story of the garden is going to tell us, every time something beautiful is created, there will be tohu vabohu that reaches in and tries to tear it and twist it. There will always be spiritual resistance. 
but the dream is still the dream. Let us make man in our image. Now, in Egyptian culture, which is where the writings of Moses would have started, you ha- they had a concept about image of God, and it is this. Pharaoh alone is the image of God. He is God in flesh. He is the son of the God. Now, centuries later, probably polished forms of this book coming in, and you've got the image of God in Babylonian culture. But they've got an entirely different story about where gods come from. They said that there were the big gods, and the big gods made smaller gods, and these gods were just created to be their slaves. And so these gods, the little gods, have to serve the big ones, And finally, they get fed up with it, and they stage a strike, and they demand to the big gods that they make other creatures to be their slaves and make those creatures serve them too. So mankind is made as the slaves of the gods, and the king and the priests are the images, they're the human images of the gods. And all humans must serve the gods and serve the kings and priests as their slaves. Only that elite group and only the gods are the image. You know, the king and priests are the image, and they are the images of the gods, and all the other humans in the world are just their slaves. But that is not what this verse said. And this is, again, a story war against the gods of Egypt and against the gods of Babylon. And it says all, it's a revolutionary idea, all humans, not just the king, not just the priest, all humans are the image of God. Male and female are the image of God. The poor and the rich, the strong and the weak, the powerful and those with no power, all humans are the image of God. It's an amazing thought. The democracy that is in this, the nobility that is in this concept, image of God. Well, okay, what is the image of God? An image is a mirror. It's a reflection. An image is a sign. An image is a living, physical embodiment. In a sense, it is God in the flesh. All humans are the reflection of the God who made them. They are the sign that points back to Him. They are the expression of His real presence in the world. And they express his will for the world. And they express his rule over all the creation of God on earth. All of us are the image of God. Not all of us should be the image of God. We are the image of God. Now, some of us are just really bad at being an imager, but others are awesome at it. We are the physical expression of God's will for this world. That's what all humans are created to be. That is our calling 
in life. So if you need a calling in life, God has already created one for you. You were made for this calling. You are the image of God. You are the reflector of God in the world. When people see you, they're supposed to think God. When they watch your character, that's his character. The choices you make are the choices he would make. The way you take care of the people and the planet and the other nefesh, that is the expression of how God will be taking care. And he is taking care. He's just doing it through your hands, through your lips, through your feet. We are, as you know, so many of the old songs say, we are his hands extended. We are the feet of God, carrying the will of God throughout the world. The image of God. It's a beautiful concept. Well, there's another question that we have, and that is, who's God talking to? When he says, let us make man in our image, and then later, when, when the, the failure of humans comes in, God is going to say once again, man has now become like one of us. Who's the us? You know, who's God talking to? Let us create. Well, we pretty much, as far as I can tell, we only have two choices. And there's, there's nothing concretely pointing, but here are the two choices, and you're going to have to make your own decision about this. First of all, uh, could be that this is God. As the Scripture goes on to talk more about God as a person, we come to understand that he is a complicated person. He's not just a big man. God is complex, and God has three, three persons who live within the one God. And that is our first possibility. He is speaking to the Godhead. He is speaking within himself, and that makes sense in a lot of ways. And because, you know, who else would you qualify to be the us? On the other hand, it's a little bit odd that God has to talk out loud to understand what he's thinking. You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense in one way that God would have to speak out so that the other members of the Trinity would know what he is thinking about. They're more unified than that, it seems. And the other possibility is, it is this divine counsel. He is speaking to the heavenly realms. He is speaking to the unseen realm and to the heavenly sons of God that surround him, that the scripture describes them as thousands and thousands times thousands, and uh, it names some of them. We've got Michael, we've got Gabriel, we have others, and... He may be speaking to them. That is Michael Heiser's opinion, and he's written a book called Supernatural that I would also recommend to you, that you can start looking through the Scripture and see how many references are there to this concept of a divine counsel that goes with God. It's in the book of Job, uh, right there in the beginning. There's a divine counsel meeting. Uh, there are other sort of like government meetings called and the sons of God, they're called sometimes. So it's a big subject, uh, but it is one we're going to touch on as we move forward 
in Genesis. So either the Father is speaking to the Son and His Spirit, or the Father is speaking to the divine counsel. But in any event, He's being overheard, and the divine counsel is hearing, and the Father says, let us make them in our image. That's stage one. And then secondly, He says, and let them have dominion. And we see a pattern here now, the last born becoming the ruler. And so man is created and becomes the ruler of earth, co-ruler with God. But he's, he's a ruler more like the warden, more like a steward ruler, not the owner of the world. This is our father's world. But we have co-rulership with him. It is a huge, high estate. It is a noble birth that humans have from the very beginning. We are made of the earth to take charge and to nurture the earth. We are nephesh, that we might care for the other nephesh and make them to flourish. The very purpose for our existence is to take responsibility for our Father's world and to be His authority extended over it to bring the kingdom of God to this planet, the the ruling actions of God, to bring that to this planet. Stay tuned. God establishes humans now as his rulers over the earth. He blesses them. He blesses all the land, Nephesh. At the end of this section, uh, verse 28, it says, And God blessed them. And he said to them, and he's speaking now to man that he has created. It says, Be fruitful, the same pattern that we normally see. Be fruitful, human, and multiply. Don't just add, multiply. And fill the earth. This next one is new. He says, and subdue it. Wow, there's so much we could talk about there. Life has a will. And life will fight against your authority. Every living thing will resist you. And he says, you're going to have to take it under your control, and you're going to have to tame it. Uh, You know, there's a big difference between a wilderness and a garden. A wilderness just does whatever it wants. Every plant pushes and takes all the territory that it can, all the sunlight, all the nourishment. Other plants fight for themselves to That's not what a garden is. A garden is a place where a human has exerted their will, and they have told certain plants, you're not coming over here, and they cut off the part of that plant that keeps encroaching 
on the design of the garden, and they create places where there is grass and places where there are flowers, and they make rule. And a garden, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's got the, the creativity of the human caregiver behind it. And so God is speaking a word like that, and he's saying whether it is animals, whether it is a harvest of crops, or whether it is beauty of a garden, or whether it is fruit trees, you are going to have to tame this planet. You have to take charge of it. You can't just let it do what it wants to do. You've got to guide it. It's got so much life. But all this life, it's, it's the nature of life. To, to have a will and to want more. And healthy things grow. And growing things change. And so we need to take charge of it. And he says, I want you to take charge. And the next thing he says is, I want you to have dominion. I want you to have yiredu. This is used of a master-servant relationship. I want you to be the master. This word is used of Solomon's vast rule of uh, the, the role of a royal, a member of the royal bureaucracy. He's saying to Adam, your dominion, your span of authority covers the sea, the heavens, and the earth. There's fish, flying things, every beast. It's all under you. Have dominion. Take up your space. Don't be passive. Take charge of your world. Take charge of this life. That's verse 28. And then there is, um, and this is, these are some verses that get a lot of attention these days, with the concern that is a legitimate concern about our food, that we are poisoning ourselves with way too much sugar. And chemicals and other things are in our food now that are affecting us in so many ways. And so a lot of people are looking back to the original model of creation to say, what should we be eating? And you'll see a lot of people turning to these verses, verse 29 and on. God describes a vegan diet. All the nefesh were originally Vegans, all of them lived in harmony. No one lived, no life lived at the expense of the other people's lives, the other nefesh's life. And he says, I am giving all of you what is green. I am giving you what is green to eat. And he, he says to the humans, first of all, it is for you. But he said, not just for you, verse 30 you share this planet with the other nefesh, with the lower life forms. You take care of them. Their food is important too, and you share the same planet, and you share the same food source. All that is green on the grain is for eating, as well as all the fruit trees that I have sown throughout the world. Uh, And so we... We settle on to that. Verse 31, the last verse of chapter 1. And this is interesting the way it's written. It says, And it was so, and God saw everything he had made, every single thing that he had made. This is his big creation week. And lo, you're going to see this word again in chapter 6, 
verse 13. Low is it's sort of like breaking, uh, you're breaking out of your uh, description and you're actually sort of calling to the audience. Low means, hey, come over here and look, you know, look at this. And so it says, and God saw everything he had made and come over here and look at this, like look over my shoulder, low. It was exceedingly good. And that word good is again, tov. It is exceedingly good. It is positive. It is something that builds up. It is something that adds life. And it is exceedingly that way. It's a very first use, usage of exceedingly good. God is stoked at his creation. It is everything that he dreamed it would be. We are nearing the end of the creation overture. Remember that we said that so far, there's no villain. There's just the creator of all. And he's lost in the joy of creating this world he's been dreaming of for a long time. But the dream state is a... Have you ever had somebody wake you up from a beautiful sleep? Well, this dream state that the Creator is in is about to be interrupted with a rude awakening. Chapter 1 is here. The overture is here to let us see, you know, lo, come look, to let us see the vision that God has, to let us feel the wonder of the creation of this world and our part in it. And we get to almost taste the fruit of the trees. And then in chapter 2, the scene will change suddenly and conflict will enter chapter 3 and pain and jealousy and murder and rebellion and finally exile. The dream is going to be shattered and we will wonder if we'll ever get back to the utopia that never quite got started before it was ruined. You know, I'll never forget the day when I was thinking, what could cause a revolt in heaven? But the seeds that answer that question are already sown in the story that we've read tonight. Let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. And Psalms 8 says, what is man that you are so mindful of him? You have crowned him with glory and honor. So there's pain coming. There is conflict coming. There's a, there's a new quest coming to restore the balance of our shattered world. But All of that is for another day. For now, let's just enjoy the view from the last verse of chapter 1. And God saw everything he had made. And lo, it was exceedingly good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day day. Hey, don't forget to check out 
MediaLightAsia.com slash summer to learn more about our summer media camp this July. And also please click the share link and send this episode to a friend that you think would appreciate it. Remember to leave a comment on the podcast app that you're using to help other people find Thread Bible Podcast. That's all for now. Expect God to use you today because you are the light of this world. Hey, I know we've been covering a lot of new stuff and we would love to have a question and response episode covering anything you want to ask about chapter one of Genesis. So you can just email a recording of your question, keep it to about 30 seconds or so, tell us your name, where you're from, and what your question is, and we'll do our best to respond to those on the air. That's MediaLightAsia at gmail.com. MediaLightAsia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.